Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. I have a special guest here in the studio with me, Peter Herbeck, who is the Vice President and Director of Missions of Renewal Ministries in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You've probably seen him perhaps on one of the many conferences he has spoken at. He's been a co-host on EWTN, author of several articles and books on evangelism and the charismatic renewal. Peter and his wife, Debbie, have four children and five grandchildren. Peter, welcome to Greenville and Faith and Family Radio. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. I'm really happy to meet you for the first time. I I followed you. I've heard you on the radio. I've admired your ministry from afar and the heroic work you're doing for the family. It's it's tremendous. Well, I've watched you from afar as well, but um, it's really good to have you here. And one of the things that I really appreciate, and I have all kinds of things we can talk about. I have papers you've written, books you've written, and perhaps in a second broadcast, we can get into some of those. But I really like to hear how it all began. In other words, every person's life who's involved in some kind of apostolic ministry has that big bang. (laughs) I mean, it may come as a a, a very gentle move of the Holy Spirit, but something causes a change in a life, and it's God's intervention, and it never seems to be the same. He's infinitely creative in how he brings us to him. So I like to just toss it your way, and I'd like to hear your story. Well, thanks. The uh, I think my story is best understood really as kind of the healing of a fa- of a whole family. You know, I grew up in uh, a little small town in southern Minnesota called New Ulm, a little German community, Neu-Ulm. Uh, it's a little diocese there, and uh, I grew up a, a block from the Catholic parish, the cathedral parish in town, the elementary school, the convent, the rest of it. I just grew up in that milieu, very German, as I said. And I was the second youngest of seven kids. Uh, and we grew up, you know, going to church every Sunday, going to the Catholic schools and the rest of it. But as I was where I was in the in the line with the family, most of my older siblings were, had gone through high school in the late 60s and the early 70s. Enough said. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a time of everybody's hair got longer yeah. and acted weird. That's kind of what, right. I, what I remember as exactly. a little kid, you know. And so uh, they started, some of them, especially my brothers, started drifting away from the faith. They kind of went on to college and did whatever they were going to do. Um, I was the last boy at home. And anyway, from, from the outside, our family looked like, and in many ways, we were a good family. We, were, we loved each other. Uh, we were engaged in school, sports, activities. My, my brothers and I were, you know, all state athletes. And the rest of it, on the outside, it looked like our family had everything going for it. Everything was peachy keen. But that's not exactly what happened. In our, in the, in, inside our life, we had a big battle that we were, we were fighting against. And it was my father who had been a... Uh, tank commander in Patton's Third Army, the Battle of the Bulge, and was was involved in a lot of the worst stuff you could see in the Second World War as a tank commander in the places he went, including the liberation of Mauthausen concentration camp. Dad could speak fluent German, and so he happened. To, they, he was there in Germany right when they came upon Mauthausen. Oh my! So he was, he was right a, up front. He when, was, and so oh, he yeah. was there for like a week, two weeks, or whatever, helping process these um, these uh, the folks who were in the. Uh, uh, the camp. Camp. There mm-hmm. you go. I'm right. sorry. My mind is It's all right. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they're in the camp. And so uh, he brought all that home. And, of course, his generation didn't talk about it. That's right. And he just kept it. He buried it. 
And they were conflicted. On the one hand, they were war heroes. On the other hand, they saw and did and experienced things they wouldn't want to talk about. They didn't think of themselves as being heroes. And so how they, dad and other peers dealt with it is they drank. They just submerged it all, right? I'm very up, aware of that. They numbed themselves. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Very aware of that. Yeah. So here it is in the middle of our family is this reality of dysfunction and addiction that's present there. And again, we didn't we didn't talk about it at home, even though it was this big reality that we all experienced. We didn't know how to talk about it. We didn't want to talk to anybody outside our family about it. So you got to keep it really private. And then you carry this kind of shame and things that go along with it. And did anybody somebody say, hey, my parents said they saw your dad, you know, downtown and he had too much to drink or something like that. So there were there was shame and embarrassment and pain and confusion. But as a family, we did not know how to come together to talk about it. We just didn't have the tools. We didn't, we didn't. And then our faith at the time was real. I mean, the foundation of our faith in our family was my mom. She was prayed the, the rosary daily, went to mass in the morning most days and read the scripture and stuff. And she really was a woman of faith. And dad had faith too, but it was just kind of all over the place because of what he was dealing with. Well, to make a long story short, I'm 16 years old, junior in high school. Uh, there's just two of us still at home, my, me and my sister Patty, who was a year younger than I am. Uh, I was at the time. And so uh, my oldest sister, Kathy, who lived a couple hours north of us, calls home and said, look, I'm going to bring the kids home, her family, this weekend. I want to tell you something. It's really important, you guys. Make sure that you're going to be around on the weekend. So what What was the message? Yeah. So here she comes home and says she's part of a Bible study in her parish in North Branch, Minnesota, and that they meet every Wednesday night. And at the end of the time together, sharing the scripture, they pray for people's needs. And she said, last Wednesday night, as always, we've been praying. We included dad in our prayer, you know, in his situation. And she said, and then I'm, after we're done, I'm walking to the car. And one of the members of the Bible study, a local farmer, came up in kind of awkward way, just saying, I don't know what to say, Kathy, but when we were praying for your dad, I felt in my heart that the Lord wants me to come and tell you that the Lord has heard your prayer and he wants to bring healing to your father, but to your whole family and what you need to do is you need to turn back to him and take him, but let him take your hand so he can lead you out, that kind of a thing. And so here we're sitting and my sister's saying all this and we never had conversations like this in my house. I mean, literally, that's the first time I think I ever heard anybody say Bible study, you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it was so different, but she, she number one, she was uh, a sensible woman. She had both feet on the ground. I knew she wasn't crazy, you know, and she had so much passion and she said, you guys, Look, dad is in bondage too. There's spiritual bondage here as well. It's not just a chemical reality, but there's a spiritual battle going on in our family as well. And what we need to do is get serious about our faith, give our hearts to God. I thought, like, what did you go to seminary? I mean, what happened to what, you? Girl? How did the uh, family react? Well, we were I mean, this is pretty by... shocking yeah. if you're not used. You know, kind of God is in church for yeah, so many but... people, but he's not like in your midst in right. your personal life, your family life, particularly your problems. God, yeah. you have to pretend you don't have problems when you go to church right. because God certainly doesn't want to get involved in your problems. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm being facetious, of yeah, course. Sure. And he, and he's he was alive in her and there's like a current of grace coming through. I don't know how to put it other than that. There was there was a living faith and confidence that God is real and alive and he cares about what's happening in our home and he wants to help us. But he can't help us if we don't re rely on him, if we don't really turn to him and look for his help. And so uh, that night I went to, went to bed. I'm laying in bed, nothing more I wanted than my, for my father to be healed. I love my dad. I, he was a good man, carrying a lot of weight. And I got out of my bed for the first time since elementary school and knelt down and uh, just prayed. I said, if the, I don't know what to believe about this 
uh, God, if this is real, you know, could you please help? And that was kind of my cry at the time. And I actually went to bed, jumped into bed, and I'm laying there, and I cried myself to sleep for the first time, the only time in my entire four years of high school, you know? Okay. And so um, the um, two weeks later, on a Monday night, Dad used to drink on Monday nights, and uh, it was always the boys. We would wait up for him and see that he got to bed, and I'm sitting there doing homework late at night. He comes in and sits down next to me, and I didn't want to engage him, so I just kept my head down doing my homework because I didn't want to get into an argument with him, which mm-hmm. is usually what would happen. I was 16, and I didn't mm-hmm. like the way he was when he was like that, right? He physically would never hurt anybody, but he had a lot of anger, a lot of pain in him, uh, and so I ignored him. And But I could hear him breathing. I could smell the booze on him. And then after a few minutes, he, he broke the silence, and he, and he said, Peter, look at me. And I, I didn't want to look at him. And he reached out, and he grabbed my arm, and he, was, he squeezed my forearm, and he was shaking. And he said, son, look at me. And I looked up at him. And when I looked up at him, I saw a tear come down his cheek. I never saw my dad shed a tear, cry in my life. And he, there was a kind of brokenness and humility that I never saw in my dad in that moment. And he said, son, uh, I'm a sick man. Please help me. And my dad never admitted that he had a problem. And he never asked anybody for help for anything. You know, you know how important that is in the whole alcoholic and addiction struggle, the first thing you got to do, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped and doesn't think they have a problem. The first thing you have to do is admit you got a problem. Of course. And so he got up and went into the home office that we had at the time, and he called our family physician, Doc Ringhofer, a good German doctor in this New Orleans. This at night? Quarter to 12. Okay. At night. All right. And he said, Doc, this is Joe Herbeck. He said, I'm a sick SOB is what he said, so I hope we can say that on the radio. But he said that, and, uh, and uh, they talked for a while. He put the phone down. He went upstairs. He went to bed. The next morning, we went to St. Mary's Extended Care Center in St. Paul, Minnesota, a treatment center where dad was for four weeks. We went once a week as a family. It was transformational for us. We were, we were taught how to talk about the pain that was in us and the reality of how our family was getting wrecked by all this whole thing. But anyway, at the end of that four weeks, dad stood up and he said, my name is Joe Herbeck. I'm an alcoholic. I can't live without Jesus Christ at the center of my life. He didn't just say higher power. You know, it was like, and- um, He got real specific. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And so that was 77. Dad lived okay. so- sober for 20 years and he died 1997. In that time, the best years of his life, he was a 12, 12 year politician in the town that he loved. And, and he was very, very involved in helping lead the rebuilding of the Catholic schools there in town. And then the big thing was, within the next two years, my entire family, all seven kids, came back to the faith. And uh, our whole family life was transformed. We learned not only how to talk about kind of our pain, but we learned how to talk about God. We learned how to share our faith together. I mean, growing up, we never did that. We just never talked about God or what God might be doing in our life or are we praying? Now, you went to, to church, but yeah. that was kind of, again, God's in church, not right, right. in us or separation. in our family yeah. life. Yeah. Yes. And there was an awkwardness to, in those, I mean, those days, it would have felt awkward to even mm. begin to talk about it, but it didn't anymore because we were, we were a mess and the Lord helped us be honest about our mess and okay. to not be afraid of it. And we found his strength in that brokenness. And he taught us how to love each other in a way. We always loved each other. We did, you know, but we didn't know how to express it because we didn't know how to deal with the realities of our own pain. I mean, we, you know, as a kid, you never want to talk about what just happened with dad the night before. You don't want to, you don't know who to talk to. You don't know how to talk about it. So we all lived in our little silos and our own little world. And it's crazy making, you know, kind of thing, because you're denying the biggest reality that's impacting you. And for, with God's help, um, we were able, through getting help from professional people, but really it was a return to faith at the heart of it and a belief that God is alive. He loves us. He has the power to help us get through this if we learn how to trust him 
And so we started reading the Bible together, which we'd never really done before. Okay. Uh, we, we'd prayed the rosary on occasion as a family, like during mm-hmm. Lent and stuff <clears> like that. And my mom, as I said, was a daily rosary prayer. And no matter I mean, you know, what time of night or day it was, she, she was praying the rosary to get it in, you know, in the day mm-hmm. and, and she because it mattered to her so much. But later in life, I saw that it was really the glue and the foundation. Our Lady was absolutely key to bringing our family back to faith together. So that spread kind of like a good infection, not only among my siblings, that faith, but our we loved coming together as a family, Easter, Christmas, and the rest of it. We did all the stuff we used to do, which was go to church, watch good sporting events, have great food, right? go outside and play, touch football and all that kind of stuff. But the reality of our journeys began to emerge in our conversations. We would inevitably have hours. We'd spend three, four hours on a Saturday night late into the night talking about, you know, what's what's God doing in your life or uh, how are you doing and how are the kids doing? And we would listen to each other and we were able to be honest with each other about what was what our struggles were and, and where our victories were. And we prayed with each other. And then kid, our, the grandkids just started coming around. And when faith is real, Steve, when you know this, I mean, you've lived it and taught it. When faith is alive and lived in people's hearts and they're passionate about living as Catholics and following Jesus, it's contagious. Even with kids, even with kids who go through struggles and with difficulties, you know, a lot of my friends were drifting from the faith just like everybody else, almost seemed like everybody else was uh, in those teen years, you know. I wasn't highly engaged in the faith. I went to church because my dad and mom said, you're going to church, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, I didn't miss Mass as It was result. what you did. Right, it's what we did, <clears throat> but it had not it had not really been internalized. My baptism remained, the graces of my baptism remained untapped at that point in my life in a mm, lot of that's ways. That's well put. In other words, yeah. you had a spark yeah. that brought to life Absolutely. what was just waiting Yeah to be born, really, yeah. or come alive. Yeah. And my friends saw what was happening in my family, and guess what? Some of their families had struggles they weren't dealing with, you know? Okay. And, and they started, like, our family became like a magnet. And guys started coming, and it was just an environment that was real and authentic and kind of because Jesus was living at the center of it. We weren't, like, beating people over the head with the Bible, but we were living with the Lord as Catholics and with the Holy Family, and, and others just started coming alive in our life. And so that was, for me, the foundation. That's kind of how everything started. And the big thing for me was, remember when we went through treatment with Dad, I saw so many people who were battling addictions and so many broken families, and I, I saw what the power of God is, and I, I said, wow, you know, I, I touched the human struggle and the sin problem at a really deep level as a young guy, and I really did experience that Jesus Christ is the solution. And life with him in his church literally is the difference maker. And he's alive and he's personal and he's real. And, uh, and that's what began to get, I began to pursue the Lord passionately as a young guy myself. And um, in fact, I had a lot of impact on bringing my older siblings back to the faith because it just, I was in, I just happened to be the one at home. And where dad, dad and I kind of, you know, that night, the description I had with him coming home and talking with me. And I was like right in the heart of it, the experience of it. And then between my oldest sister and me, we kind of evangelize the other siblings in the family, you know. And uh, so I said, there's something real here. And I just want to be a part of this the rest of my life in some way. Now, my guess is there's a lot of people listening to this broadcast right now that, uh, just like your family, I mean, I, I told you before the broadcast, I would bring some books on alcoholism to a Catholic family conference. And I can remember one wife coming up to me, 
you wouldn't believe how many people here have a problem with alcoholism. Yeah. And I said, I know, that's why I brought the books. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people. And of course, it's in the news, all the drug addictions. And you know what happens? I mean, the treatments centers are great, but people go through one after another and go, go back again. And then yeah. they'll go back again. Drugs or alcohol. There has to be something deeper yeah. touched, but somebody's listening. There's alcoholism in the family, drug abuse, uh, wandering spouse, a veteran home from yeah. the desert and going just exactly what your dad went through. How do they, okay, they're, they're Catholics. They may even go to mass. How do they start this process that yeah. healed your family? No, it's a really good question. I think... There's a passage from John's Gospel, uh, you know, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. And I think the first step has to be us asking ourselves, honestly, am I, whether I'm the addict or whether I'm a concerned person, a family member who's being affected by it, to be able to give yourself the freedom to be honest about what your actual experience is. And you might say, I don't even know how to name my experience. I'm not even sure what to do. What I would do is I'd start on my knees, Number one, that's that's the first step. And to okay. say, Lord, I'm I we are powerless over this. And and if you're listening, you're in the middle of it, you already know. But we also want to deny that in different ways. And just to be able to express the Lord, your brokenness and your need for help. And to say, Lord, I entrust either my life, my situation to you. Please help me and lead me out of this. And then commit each day yourself to just drawing closer to the Lord, daily prayer yourself. It's really important reading the scripture, praying the rosary, and staying closer. Do whatever you can to just stay closer to the Lord and walking with him. Then find find people. Every, every town probably in the country has somebody who can help you talk about what how to handle addiction. Now, we got help, professional help, which is really important. You need that. You do. And I yeah, don't absolutely. want to denigrate that at all, but yeah. there's something else along right. with that. Right. This is like, yeah. do you want one it's fist or two? Well, really, the key is our identity coming to understand <clears throat> the love of God, the healing power of God, the sacraments, and living the life of faith with others, having your identity get rooted in Christ is a profoundly healing thing. I mean, people who are addicted, dad was an alcoholic, he didn't feel like he could ever be forgiven probably for what he saw, what he did. He lived in isolation with his pain, and as a result, he didn't share with others his struggle and his pain. And what you have to do is come together with people of faith. You have to come together with people of faith who are living it in a way that's authentic and real, and they themselves are sharing honestly their own battles and their own struggles. And there are people like that in every town. They are, yeah. Yeah. Seek them out, pray, God will put you in touch. And here's here's one of the reasons people leave the church is because they don't don't experience what the church has touching their life where they're really living. And that is in this pain, in this addiction, and in this struggle. But that's in part because they're not opening themselves up to the help that's available in the situation because the risk's high. You know what I mean? And people are trying to carry their pain on their own because the shame that surrounds it and the embarrassment. And I'd say just know that things like shame is a kind of bondage that keeps us kind of separated from the Lord and the grace the Lord wants to give us. So be able to open up. You know, if you don't know where to go, talk to your parish priest, you know, or talk to maybe ask around who are couples in your parish, people in your parish that have dealt with addiction, that they, they certainly look like people who are living the faith, 
begin conversation with them and find out how they got help. Begin to share your story with other people. Get help with the 12-step group if you need it, if that's where you are. If, if you're addicted, you're going to need some kind of professional help probably, right? But it starts with the journey toward God and receiving forgiveness and mercy from God and believing it and coming to understand yourself as a son and daughter of God and let the healing power that's in the church and her sacraments and her life and her love to be able to help restore you to being a son and daughter of God who's alive and you, you love yourself in a healthy way. You know what I mean? You have self-respect gets restored. You know that you're loved by God and it gives you a sense of dignity, which is what you really need inside to know that I'm, I'm a child of God and God loves me, and that's the foundation of my life. That's the foundation of my value as a person because they've lost that, right? And alcoholics and addicts beat themselves up so bad. Day in and day out, they got all the bad tapes going on in their head. It's, I'm actually no good. I'm not mm-hmm. worth anything. And uh, you need a new set of tapes in your head, and that's the, that's the life of God, the Word of God that he brings to us in his church that you need to internalize and believe and allow him to change your life. I don't think I showed it in my face, but you began your answer quoting John chapter 8 and verse 12. That's the entire anchor of my life. Excuse me. Oh, is it? I love that passage. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I was a prodigal son, and I just figured out there's, there's a dead end. Yeah. So I started in religion, and of course, I didn't think there was anything to Christianity because, yeah. again, I went to church. I went to Sunday yeah. school and catechism class as Presbyterians, but I just there's nothing to Christianity was my assumption. So yeah. I went to New Age religion. I don't even know if it had that term at the time, and I was seeking my enlightenment and didn't realize it, but I was just increasing my pride because yeah. that's what Eastern mm-hmm. religions do. And to free my karma, my guru uh, said, you were born a Christian, and so to free your karma, move up to higher states of enlightenment, you need to read the Bible because that's the religion you were born into. I said, look, uh, you know, I, I went to church. Believe me, there's nothing to Christianity. And he mm-hmm. said, okay, but if you want to—and I wanted to be enlightened, so I read the Bible and— uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This seems a little bit repetitive here, but then I got to John, yeah. and it was John eight twelve, and it's not, an a you know uh, some religious enlightenment that I was living in darkness, and I had to admit it. And the danger is, is when you're living in darkness, you think God can't love me. Yeah. But that's where you experience the love of yeah. God. Yeah. You know. It uh, you got me all emotional here, and John. No, you see, shouldn't you know, have he, quoted John eight twelve. Right, it, right. It, but see, that's I when the know. light comes. That's yeah. when the light came to your family. Yeah. It didn't come because you know there's a tendency you go to a Catholic conference and some speaker said, "Hey, I've got it all together, yeah. and let me just give you the seven steps how to keep it all together." Right. You started by talking about alcoholism. Yeah. People think, "What is Steve doing having this guy on the radio?" Because yeah. that's where Jesus meets us. No, it's absolutely true, and I, I think I. The deepest conviction I have, Steve, all these years and all the different ministry around the world I've been involved in, what I know is that Jesus Christ is the light that gets shed into darkness, and he will come to you wherever you are if you invite him in, and he will take you by the hand, and he will lead you out of that darkness. He, he will do that, and he has a, a wonderful plan for your life. He wants to restore you to health. He not only wants you to be mentally and physically healthy, he wants you to come alive spiritually 
to become a son and daughter of God in a way that it literally frees you on a daily basis. And he wants you to live in his love and then be a conduit of his love in life. A light to others. That's why your family was a magnet. His light was coming through. And it's still still spreading out. Like I told you, when my mom died, I don't know if I actually said it, I maybe told you before, she died three years, dad died 97, mom died three years ago. When she died, she had 73 children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, and the majority, the vast majority of them are all following the Lord at some level or in the church. And so that, I, I look back and I think, wow, where we were going and the pit we were in and how my siblings were drifting from the faith mm-hmm. and I was indifferent to it. Man, the enemy had a plan and a strategy for us. And in God's mercy, because of this, I, I, I wish I could find that farmer in northern Minnesota, a simple man, a simple farmer. And, and I'm, I was thinking to myself when you told that story, yeah. that may have been the only time in his life he right. ever yeah. was praying with a group of people yeah. and said, you know, the Lord yes. impressed upon me. He wanted to do this right. in your dad's life. And he had life. the courage yes. and, the, and the love to say something that was probably really uncomfortable for him to say. He was exactly. rolling the dice. Like, what if she thinks I'm, what if I'm wrong? And what if she thinks I'm a kook because I said I heard God, you know, or something for you. And he stepped out in faith, and God loves that expectant faith. The Lord loves it when we begin to entrust ourselves to him. That's what happened. This guy entrusted himself to the Lord, and he stepped out with expectant faith. My sister took it into her heart, and she, got, she was convinced by it. And then she had to make that step. Do I really want to go home and tell my family this? That would, we, we've never had a conversation like this Take a like lot of courage. Ever. And, of course, God will give you courage. Right, That's exactly. the whole deal here. Exactly. You come to him with your needs. So. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how it all started. Okay. You know? Well, Peter, we have about a minute left, and I have a feeling that a lot of people hearing this broadcast are want to hear some more from you or about you or some things you've written. How do they get in touch? Uh, the simplest way is just go to our website at renewalministries.net. Renewal, One more time. Right. Renewalministries.net. All our radio okay. shows, television shows, all our products, all the articles written there. Everything's there. It's all free. You can just go access at any time. Uh, and then, yeah. And then you can also listen to Avi Mirror Radio. The, the okay. program is on daily there. Uh, some of the TV shows are still on at EWTN. They can check their schedule, too. Okay. So, How long is your radio show? 15 minutes a day. Okay. And Monday through Friday. I've started a second show that's 15 minutes because I kind of sense that younger families, yes. that's kind of their yeah. time. So yeah. it's uh, if anybody wants to uh, kind of companion uh, radio shows, I'd be delighted to have Peter as a neighbor. And again, you can find out a whole lot more of what Peter has done and what he has written, as well as his radio show at renewalministries.net. Peter, thanks for being with us on Faith and you Family. Bet. You're welcome, Steve. It's great to be with you. God bless you all. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.